Uh, great show lined up. Uh, we're going to be discussing uh, healthcare, health policy, uh, some of the politics around it with my guest in studio, Mr. Jack Bloom. But before we get there, we're going to be chatting to Catherine as usual, our regular segment, The Health News. Uh, Catherine, how are you this week? Great. Yourself? Uh, well, I've just been told by my producer that I have uh, my my eye is pink, so essentially I've got conjunctivitis, which uh, I've only just realised, which is a bit disturbing. But other than that, I'm perfectly well. Well, you can treat yourself. How nice! There you go. You don't even have to go to the doctor. Coming soon to a pharmacy near you. Um, so, in the news this week, um, uh, I, there seems to be a lot of money being raised by one of our uh, high-profile professors. So I spoke to Professor Mervyn Moore, who's really the coolest guy, not just because his name is, like, strange. He has the longest hair, and he's raised no, he a does. lot of money, he's, but he didn't... He should be sponsored by Pantene. I've always said this, but uh, but uh, he's got awesome hair. But, yes, sorry. Other than that, he's a genius of the medical world, and he's uh, looking for cash for TB. He got a lot of money, and he didn't want to say how much, because despite him being clearly very bright, he's also very humble... But he raised a lot of money to do research, which is starting now, um, between WITS and the University of Queensland in Australia. And he really thinks it'll be groundbreaking mm-hmm. on on patients who have TB in ICU. So um, Professor Moore works with very, very, very sick patients yeah. at death's door. Yep. And what he, what he and Professor Lipman in Australia think is that they've been giving TB patients who are dying. So this is not your average TB patient. This is someone in ICU who might not make it. Like a lo- too low a dose of antibiotics. Mm-hmm. And so what they've decided to do, and he's got lots of money to do it, is to try and do research to work out exactly how much an ICU patient who's at death's door should be giving in terms of antibiotics. And he thinks if they can work this out, they can save a lot of lives, people who are about to die, and also reduce antibiotic resistance. Yeah. Because if they Just... don't kill the bugs, then they can also become resistant. So yeah, it's kind that, of killing two birds with one stone. That will be groundbreaking, assuming the research uh, is uh, shows successful results. Um, that's that's really great. Uh, I I think we should go to your next story, which is which is about our Gauteng hospitals. Uh, my guest in studio will expound on this issue as we talk through the hour. But uh, what's falling apart this time? Oh, I'm sure your guest in studio is going to know more than me because he gets as many SMSs more than I do, but everything seems to be falling apart. I've had messages from doctors so many times over the last few weeks. At, so at Charlotte McClaycare Hospital, mm-hmm. they, um, there's been no linen. I think yesterday, two days ago, a week ago, there wasn't linen and there were um, operations cancelled. And the week before that, there wasn't linen and there were operations cancelled. These are most of the ops, it's not the emergency ops. Yeah. The doctors are getting pretty discouraged because obviously, as you know, being a doctor yourself, they're wanting to save lives and they're having, they're the ones they're saying, they're having to say to the patient, I'm sorry, we can't help you today. Mm. And having to cancel ops because of something stupid like washing. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I can tell you that uh, patients don't take lightly to being cancelled for the third time after having waited for the operation for eight, nine, ten months, sometimes two years, three years. So uh, I, I'm sharing their frustration. We, we're going to talk about that quite a lot. Um, and uh, it, I think... It just seems to happen. Yeah. That's the one thing. Is it happens at this time, and I'm sure Jack will be able to explain, every year, like <laughs> November, and suddenly there's no drugs in the hospitals, and there's no linen, and there's no... Just basic, there's no masks, or there's no gloves, and... It, 
the question that I'm waiting for an answer from Gauteng Health is why does this happen year in and year out? Like, can they not figure it out? But it seems like they've run out of money and... I, I, I would say wait, but I, I would definitely say don't hold your breath on, on waiting for that answer. Um, you, you might not make it to Christmas. Um, well, we've also uh, finally got some evidence that uh, the electricity crisis might be affecting healthcare. Uh, wh- where's that coming from? Well, Netcare said, so Netcare has announced their, their plans to expand over the next few years, and they've admitted, well, we know that they're going to be both rising electricity prices prices and not the greatest supply of electricity. Mm. Um, so they've raised 500 million rand from French donors, they say, to invest in cheaper electricity and more renewable energy. That didn't explain exactly what they were looking at, but and admit, admitting that there isn't always enough electricity and they aren't banking on it. So, so we can expect our next uh, hospital to have uh, solar solar panels instead of roof tiles, probably. Probably. <laughs> All right, uh, and that fountain in the, yeah, that fountain in the front entrance is actually a hydroelectric power station. Perhaps. <laughs> All right. So then, uh, Catherine, on the light light-hearted side, um, uh, basically, uh, we've got a comeback of something in. In adults, uh, which I'm very surprised to hear about. The Citizen had an article that it's becoming really popular for adults to wear braces. So it's not just being a teenager and looking awkward, but now as an did, adult... Did you say popular, though? Is it popular? popular? Yeah. Gee. Popular with adults, not... Yeah, maybe that was the <laughs> that only people, word. That assumes people are going out and looking for this. You know, I'll get a stylish pair of jeans and some and some braces while I'm out at the shops. Okay, well, they want to look sexy later on. <laughs> and the braces, these, yeah. maybe a poor choice of words. These braces, one of the reasons they're popular is because there's just more options. So it's adults getting braces behind their teeth mm. or adults getting clear braces. And apparently up to 20% of all braces patients in South Africa and the private sector are now adults who've figured out that it is worth getting them so they can look better later. Well, I'm sure the orthodontists are quite thrilled. Um, you know, because now that it's a, that's a whole new market. That, I'm sure uh, they're very thrilled, but it's—I mean—it's a lot of money. And it's a fortune of money, but I suppose, uh, hey, for better teeth, uh, is, uh, is was this based on South African research or, or, or overseas? This was no, this was South African data, so it wasn't—it sure. um, wasn't overseas. It was hmm. the recent past president of the South African Society of Orthodontists was saying it's a trend that adults are. Um, both internationally and in South Africa, yeah, wanting braces. All right. Well, I mean, look, I, I think uh, South Africa, South Africans generally have quite good teeth, but um, uh, it's probably good for like, nations like the British, who uh, it, it's, it's almost as if they never see a dentist. So, <laughs> if uh, braces become more of a thing, at least we'll all have better smiles. Uh, Catherine, uh, and, yeah, sorry, carry on. No, well, according to the article, an yeah. attractive smile can make you more intelligent, more successful, and wealthy. <laughs> so perhaps it is a good investment. So they just had to head, three head years that in down there. the line. Just in case you were kind of going, look, braces. I'm not so sure. Um, you, they just added in you'll be you'll be more intelligent, successful, and and, and all the rest of it. Uh, should we leave it there? Yeah, I'm trying to hear you. All right, no, no problem. Uh, the line's great on our side. Thanks so much for all the news, and and we'll chat to you next week. Great. Thanks, Catherine.
All right, so that's uh, that's the news for the week. Uh, as you can hear, quite a lot of uh, logistical um, issues with hospitals, uh, everything from electricity to linen to uh, complaining doctors. And uh, we're going to be chatting about that in general, a lot about health. My guest in studio after the break uh, is Jack Bloom. Um, he's got a very long CV, so I'll uh, I'll give you the, the rundown and he can give you a little bit more. Uh, we're going to play your song now from Eddie Grant, and when we come back, Jack Bloom.
Give me hope. And uh, we're back. Uh, it's uh, quite the song to play into uh, on a political health discussion. Uh, in studio, uh, I've got uh, Mr. Jack Bloom. He's a DA uh, member of the provincial legislature. His uh, official title is uh, the Gauteng Shadow Health Minister, uh, Shadow Health MEC. Uh, he's been involved in politics since uh, the mid '80s. Uh, and uh, helped set up many of his party's branches, uh, and has, uh, as far as I've known, been involved in, in, in health for probably a good 15 years. Is that correct? Well, in 1994, when I first got elected to the legislature, that was the portfolio that was given to me. I right. wasn't particularly happy with it because <laughs> I, I knew nothing about health, but, yeah. you know, that's what happens in politics. You, you adjust. You, you come from a business uh, a business side originally. Is that is that right? Well, I did... Uh, BA honors in psychology, so yeah. th- then I decided I needed a business orientation, so I did an MBA. Yeah. Uh, then I was in a sort of industrial relations position, and then I got hooked onto politics. I started off as a city councillor and got elected in '94 to the Gauteng legislature. And haven't looked back. <laughs> yeah, it's been quite a ride, I think. I'm sure, I'm sure. Uh, South African politics is uh, certainly uh, always entertaining, interesting, uh, and always uh, full of challenges. Uh, that's an interesting word. Uh, we always throw around the word challenges, but it's uh, it's it's almost been abused um, as a word for me because I, I find like it's almost as an excuse um, instead of saying massive problems or mess ups or those types of things uh, in terms of admissions from 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 our politicians and admissions from our, de- our, our government departments. Um, in terms of health, where are we generally, you know, from your perspective? Well, we have a, a public health system that's in crisis. Um, I mean, you get uh, a, a well-resourced province like Gauteng mm. uh, with hospital problems. It's even worse in the in the, the other provinces. Mm. Uh, you do have an example of Western Cape where the DA shows that you can run, a, you know, quite a decent public health system. Mm. Uh, the real problem, I think, is management issues because it's not even a question of budget. Uh, I'm going to give you one figure that's going to shock you now. Uh, 1.7 billion rand was returned to the Treasury of the Gauteng Health Budget last year. Yeah. Failed to spend it. And a lot of it is capital spending. And you just have to go to any one of our hospitals. You'll see they're falling apart. Mm. Uh, in fact, um, I've been putting on my Twitter videos of sewerage flowing from the ceiling of various parts of Sharpenhek at Johannesburg Hospital. There's sewerage flowing at Chris Harney Baragwant Hospital. And there's also sewerage in certain parts of the Helen Joseph Hospital. Now, how can you return to the Treasury 1.7 billion rand because sure. you've been unable to to spend it. Yeah. And this year the trend is continuing. They're probably going to not spend half a billion rand on capital spending. Uh, that's on the one hand. On the other side, they're, they're overspending on uh, the academic hospitals, the big hospitals, and they actually have to because, in fact, they have to provide a service there. Uh, I just think we're missing uh, efficient spending. The Auditor General every year comes out with the most horrendous reports. Mm, I, I actually heard a report uh, today uh, on on the Auditor General and, and health health education, you know, all the things we need the most of uh, is where there's actually massive issues. Well, the the Gauteng Health Department, uh, I think, has been riven by corruption. There's currently uh, charges being formulated against uh, senior officials dating back to uh, five years ago. This is how long it takes. The Hawks mm. have been investigating it. It relates to one billion rands worth of suspicious contracts. Now, they came out of a very bad period, and uh, uh, I think some progress 
is being made. They keep calling it a turnaround program. Now it's been turning around for s- well, it's been turning around for so long. Yes, yes. Now I, I, you know, I've been saying in the legislature, you know, if you turn around too much, you come back to where you started. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, you know, it's 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 beyond me that the problems still continue. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, like uh, Catherine, I get uh, doctors notifying me. Currently short of linen at the Shardman Aircare Johannesburg Hospital. Uh, I put out a press statement today about uh, cancelled operations at the Steve Beaker Hospital. Mm. It turns out that so far this year, 740 operations have been cancelled, uh, mostly avoidable. It's uh, staff issues, equipment issues, and uh, now the big problem is they're short of anaesthetic drugs. Uh, now just imagine 740 people are anticipating having an operation. They arrive there, they're nervous, and suddenly it's cancelled. And uh, the waiting list at that hospital is over 1,000 people. Um, in fact, um, if for orthopedics is the worst, mm. there's 450 people waiting for a, he or a hip or a knee operation. Yeah. Now, imagine you're in a lot of pain if you're waiting for your, your hip yeah, operation. Absolutely. You probably can't walk. Well, yes, I get people who uh, phone me and they say, you know, they've been waiting such a long time. And, um, you know, now they wait up to two years or three mm. years, I've heard, actually. Uh, but the figure that intrigued me most about Steve Beaker Hospital is that there's 385 uh, young children with cleft palates, and they will wait up to nine years. Now, I think that is absolutely unconscionable because Mm. it's something that is easily repairable with, uh, you know, if you do the operation. We've got a lot of this charity organization. I mean, Smile Foundation, things like that, uh, who who go out and 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 they get private sponsorship to 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 run sort of weeks where they treat these kids. Well, yes, they they seem to do that at the Sharpen Hair Care Hospital. But um, in fact, if I could make the appeal to all your listeners here, something good can come out of this. Uh, You know, there's 380. Five children at mm. uh, Steve Beaker Hospital who have to wait nine years for a cleft palate repair. Wow. So if somebody's got a good idea to to speed that up, I think uh, you know I think it would be <laughs> marvelous actually. But we shouldn't have to to make these type of appeals. Do you know, there's six. There should 000, be a service. There should be a service. Well, being give you, let me give you another statistic. There are six thousand patients waiting for cataract operations. And most mm. of them at the Chris Harney Baragwath Hospital. Now, a woman phoned me up uh, recently and she said she'd been waiting two years for her cataract operation. She arrived there and they said, oh, sorry, we've overbooked today. Can you come back in February next year? <laughs> now, mm. can you imagine you're going blind and, mm. and you're told, uh, you know, come back, uh, you know, and maybe you come back and it's another cancelled operation. Yeah. So uh, clearly there's problems at uh, hospitals. I've been running a hospital queue campaign because so uh, you only have to go to these hospitals see the unconscionable t- time that people have to spend in in in, in mm. hospital queues. Yeah, I mean you could spend the whole day there. I mean some people take off uh, the whole day off work just to to pick up mm. uh, their medication. Yeah. They might even have to come back the next day if you you queue to get your file. Yeah, you queue to see the doctor, then you queue to see to get your well, medicine. Well, it's it's interesting. The health department, I think uh, you correct me. Twenty twelve released the national core standards. Was was about twenty twelve? Was that is that right? Yeah. Yes, uh, national core standards, and we don't score very well at all on something like cleanliness. Well, I mean, the national core standards, there's, there, there's seven, if I remember, there's seven key areas they're looking at, um, and they simple things such as queuing times, uh, such as waiting, patient waiting times. Um, I, I'm just wondering, you know, we've got this, it's, it's quite an, it's a good document in terms of a, a goal uh, and an objective, but are we getting anywhere with it? 
Well, at least uh, the assessment has been done. And as you know, if you want to change something, you've got to measure it. And then you've got mm. to follow up and you've got to have a plan to change it. Mm. Now, uh, in fact, something as basic as cleanliness, uh, hospitals weren't scoring very well. Mm. Uh, hospital queues of drug availability. Um, the, the, in fact, the, the assessment was terrible. In fact, if I remember correctly, I think there was only one hospital in the whole of South Africa that, that actually scored uh, past, if you can. On the cleanliness side on the, of things. On everything, actually. I, I I mean, it's mm. it's it's appalling. I, I think uh, that the problem Gauteng is deep-rooted management problems mm. because I think if they actually spent the budget properly, it's 31.5 billion rand. That is a huge budget. Mm. But if you see the wastage and the, 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 the suspicious tenders, let me give you one example. You'll recall some years ago, in fact, it was February 2007, so it's mm. more than seven years ago, mm. uh, Premier Mbazima Shaloa announced a health smart card, which yes. I thought was exciting. You know, mm. of course, paper files get lost all the time. Mm. And uh, why not have all your data on a smart card? Nothing gets lost. Your entire history is there. Absolutely. He announced it with great fanfare. You know, I applauded it. The whole thing fell apart because of, of a corrupt tender. It's currently being investigated. You know, we really need a health information system. We have to computerize. I've been hearing this for years in the Gauteng legislature. Well, I wish they'd get on and do it. Well, that's an important point because I, I, I know I worked at a hospital where uh, – most of what what patients waited for was their files. They they arrived at seven in the morning, and at eleven thirty, if they were lucky, uh, that someone had found their file from a vault downstairs. Uh, and uh, and and then at eleven thirty, uh, they then went up to whichever ward or clinic it was to see the, to see the doctors. Um, you know, and, and obviously that just it delays the whole process, and that that that's one of the things that leads into surgeries being cancelled or, or leads into patients not being seen. Well, yes, administration is, is generally poor in our hospitals. And, you know, sometimes you don't even have to uh, spend money. You just need to do things uh, more efficiently. Mm. Uh, one of the uh, things that I'm quite excited about is what they call lean management. Mm. It's, you know, Toyota, Toyota Manufacturing Company, they um, examined all their systems. This mm-hmm. is a famous case study. You know, how can you do things more efficiently and effectively? They found out where are the major bottlenecks. Mm. Now, one of the things to speak up a hospital pharmacy queue is that why don't you put all the most commonly requested medicines in the front so they're not at the back I mean this was an actual intervention that uh, saves so logical uh, well it does but you know somebody needs to, to set the ball rolling you have to have a workshop mm. you must examine all your functions typically there are bottlenecks and you have to say where can we best deploy staff and if it's something as simple as putting all the common medicines up front instead of at the back uh, you know there you are you've saved a lot of people a lot of waiting time mm. and everybody's happy mm. sure so i mean just uh, in regards to health i mean you know there, there is always it's cited there are historical issues which there are i mean that's 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 not unfair to say um and you know the the apartheid government essentially ran an entirely different health system to what we're focusing to try to do. So we're very much moving towards a more primary healthcare focused system, uh, which which will obviously have tertiary healthcare, but but we want people to go to clinics and get their primary treatment there, uh, and then if they need to be referred. Whereas the old system kind of had the central. Uh, kind of everyone goes to the big hospital in town. Um, and there are issues around that and around the resources, uh, etc. But, you know, w- where have we so far sort of gotten over that we can stop uh, picking on that and start sort of going, these are our problems now? 
Well, I think uh, the problem is we haven't got primary health care right, and uh, typically hospitals are overcrowded because patients don't have any faith in the clinics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is, uh, this is well, you know, the new Natel Sprate Hospital, which mm-hmm. was opened with great fanfare. Now, remember, this hospital uh, was triple the budget, and five years late, you know, the, the government's incapable of building a hospital in time and within budget. Finally, they opened this magnificent new hospital in uh, Fosleris mm-hmm. in the East Rand, mm-hmm. and, and, and then they're already overcrowded. Why? Because patients bypass the, the clinics because they don't feel they'll get good treatment at the clinics. They go to the clinics, uh, there isn't a doctor at the clinic, mm-hmm. and uh, perhaps there isn't the medicine. So I think the, the primary health care, which is based on clinics, needs to be fixed up, uh, and patients must have confidence in them. That's why they bypass them and they so go up to the, to, the, to the bigger hospitals. From your perspective, is, is that, uh, you, you know, you've, you've cited some issues. There isn't a doctor there necessarily, and, and you know, sometimes the medicine issue issues um are those is although if we fix those if we uh, we look if we got people to understand that you won't always have a doctor at primary health care but you they're very competent nurses who work there very well trained um and if you need a doctor they would refer you obviously but most things don't necessarily require a doctor um is it is it just a matter of perception amongst the public well it's perception and reality in a large uh, number of cases you know people go to clinics and uh, i look the typical complaint is that uh, you know the nurses are or, or goofing off at tea time and, uh, you know, not doing their job. And, I, I mean, this is the sort of complaints you get. And, yes, there isn't a doctor, and uh, people have confidence in doctors, so they bypass the clinic. But, look, it's also a matter of education. In fact, uh, our larger hospitals should be referral only. Mm. Uh, and some and, have tried to do that. I mean, Well, uh, they do. But then what happens if, you know, people arrive in, on, on the hospital and then you, you basically have to treat them? So I, I think there, there's an educational aspect, but uh, it's also... A reflection of the reality that uh, you don't get good treatment uh, at, at many of our clinics. Mm. So I, I think that's where we have to start. But you know, the real problem is that we're going to have a, a, a big shortage of skilled uh, medical personnel. Oh, I want to get there. <laughs> yeah, well, let's, let's talk about it. You know, we're training as many doctors as we did 20 years ago. And our national health minister, who does many good things and says many good things as well, um, has got this mental block for against a private medical school. Yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense that we did have a private Let, medical school because there's a massive demand and, uh, you know, we're not meeting it. Let's explore the, the sort of doctor side of things uh, in terms of the, the numbers. Um, we've got... Uh, We've got a shortage. We know this. Um, by WHO standards, we have a shortage of doctors. Um, we, we, the health minister actually has increased numbers. Uh, they, that, that is an output yet, but that's probably coming in the next three years. Most of the medical schools were pretty much told you will increase numbers and most of them have done that. Um, I have to say I'm not that very impressed by that move because I know of students at medical schools who are now sitting on steps uh, instead of uh, in chairs during lectures because there isn't enough space because we've expanded the program but we haven't expanded the resources for that program. Um, so uh, I, I'm not uh, nuts about the idea. I'm, I'm okay about the idea. I'm not nuts about the implementation because I feel that uh, some students are going to be left behind. Um but we will have a few more doctors being put into the system in time. Uh, it's not going to be double. It's probably going to be 30% to 40% more. Uh, but <laughs> I'm seeing the other side of things, which is we complain we don't have enough doctors. We, as the NHI, and I want to talk about the NHI as a concept, but as the NHI, we know we need somewhere between 5,000 to 10,000 new specialists uh, into that program if that program would ever work. Um, 
And yet, I currently in November know seven of my colleagues who are all friends. So I'm sure I would find several others who cannot find work next year because posts are not available to them. And I'll give you ophthalmology as an example. Um, you know, I know of three people who would like to do ophthalmology and uh, cannot, for love or money, Get a post. There are posts. Uh, one opens up every six months or two open up every six months and, and there's a massive demand. Um, and so we have the, the cataracts not being done necessarily because there aren't enough staff always or it's a slow process. Uh, what is, is this even being thought of at any level? Well, that's the problem. They've got uh, vacant funded posts. The money is actually there. But for some reason, we're not making the appointments. Uh, let me give you a figure for Gauteng Health, mm. which is the largest health system in the country um, with the biggest budget, um, 8,500 vacancies. It's an 11% vacancy rate. Compare that to the Western Cape where they've got it down to 4%. Mm. Um, now, uh, there's about one in five doctor positions are vacant and a similar percentage amongst skilled nurses. So I don't know why they're not filling these positions. You're absolutely right. I also know qualified doctors who, who can't have, get who don't have Who don't have work. Well, they want to work in a public hospital yeah. and, and, they, and they're not being appointed. So there's something very strange there. I suspect that there's uh, some sort of uh, unofficial moratorium on posts because of mm. budgetary issues, but uh, you can't mm. go on like this because what happens is we actually lose these people. We spend a lot of money training them and they have to go and find opportunities elsewhere but um, I, I'm very worried about the skills situation, we're not doing nearly enough training mm. um, Western Cape is now, is now bringing in the private health sector to do some training in specialties and mm. I wish that the National Health Minister would take off his blinkers when it comes to the private health sector mm. and get them more involved in training. So look, I mean we've got pockets of this, you, you talk about the Western Cape I know for a long time it's been happening uh, Vitz has a relationship with Donald Gordon with the Donald Gordon Medical Center, which they part own with MediClinic. Uh, you know, they train specialists through that system. It hasn't always worked perfectly, admittedly, but, but it is a, a functioning system to some extent. Uh, I know the University of Pretoria is, is in similar negotiations with some of the private hospital groups. Um, where is this big debate about why it would be such a big deal to train doctors? I, I mean, I heard one argument which was just ridiculous, which was only white people would, would get into private medical schools, so therefore private medical schools are bad. I, I'm not even sure that's a fact. Uh, you know, what's, what's the big argument? Well, they're worried that, that in some way they'll steal personnel. This is their word from the public uh, universities. Mm. They think that uh, the best lecturers would at the universities would go to the private university. Well, I don't think that's true at all. In fact, I think we might just lose them to the country because some of them are very dissatisfied at public universities. But I've spoken to uh, private educational groups. They, they have proposals on the table. They'd like to go ahead. And they say, well, well they're quite prepared to, to overcome that uh, that issue mm. um, and give the minister assurances that they will uh, recruit uh, new people. Surely the minister could legislate against that to the to the point of of, of saying that uh, you, you know limiting uh, the, the scope in that you would have to be linked in some way to a public we call it a public university it's not actually public but but uh, um, you know linked to a university that gets government funding the likes of UCT Vits, uh, University of the Free State UKZN Madunsa all of them you know is, is, is that not something it seems like such a small issue 
Well, you know, the problem is the National Health Minister has some sort of mental block against the private health sector. I mean, mm. he's quite right on many of the issues. I think there are some rip-off tariffs, and, and we can all give our complaints about private medical aids. But, but quite frankly, the private health sector is an asset for the country. Imagine yeah. if we didn't have it. Imagine you – do you think that uh, C- CEOs and skilled people would stay in this country if they didn't have a private health sector, if they had to use the, the public health sector? So it is a major asset. Uh, there are some issues there that I think can be addressed rationally, mm. but they should be seen as a partner. I think uh, that if uh, the public and private sectors work together, you already see this now actually with NetCare 911 because, in fact, our public ambulance service is absolutely appalling in Gauteng, and uh, NetCare 911 has filled a large gap there. Mm. Um, and ER24 as yes, well. Yes, ER24 and several and other services. There's, there's other services there. You know, mm. um, you know, in fact, you should ask yourself if you didn't have private services, Services. I don't know what would happen here. We would, we'd, uh, you know, I, I think as a country we could go downhill very, very it's, quickly. It's interesting. I'm sure you know the legislation better than I do. But from what I understand of the legislation, um, it's basically uh, says that the government and only the government will provide emergency medical services. So essentially, those private services, in some way, are operating. Uh, you could almost argue illegally, but you would never challenge them to that because if if they all close shop tomorrow. Um, would we have much of an ambulance service? No, not at all. Uh, I mean, I think it's quite frightening that this uh, provincial government in Gauteng can't run an ambulance service. It's 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 appalling. Uh, I, I've asked questions about it. You know that uh, most of the ambulances are in workshops for mm. endless time because they don't seem to be able to repair ambulances in good time, and they seem to have very poor driver training because uh, there's enormous number of accidents that these ambulances <laughs> get involved, and then then they short of skilled people. So. I mean, it's frightening. Which, that, which uh, is so odd because there are lots of medics out there who, who are looking for jobs. I, I mean, I've invo- been involved in that space as well. Um, and, uh, you know, the Western Cape is a good example in this point because the, the EMS service in the Western Cape is, is, a, is a model really to follow. Um, they are the largest uh, pro- provider of emergency medical services in the Western Cape, as against in other provinces where, where private services pr- provide a lot of the service. Um, so they've they've seemingly got it right there with the government service, hiring the right people, putting the right people into the right positions. Um we just we, we we don't have it. Well, you answered the the, the, the question. question. Uh, we don't hire the right people. We don't <laughs> put the right them in positions. the right positions. I've seen some horrendous appointments. I sort of look at the CEOs of some of these hospitals, and I think, you know. You're putting this person in charge of a very large hospital. You know, mm. let's just take the budgets of some of these hospitals. You know, Chris Harney Baragwanth Hospital is something two and a half billion rand. Yes. That is a major corporation. Yeah. Um, Essentially, you should have a CEO of a, of a Fortune 500 company yes, running Yes, You Barrett. should have a highly qualified person who knows how to do the job. Yeah. And they should have backup. You know, these uh, hospitals, the major hospitals, don't have a, a CA, a chartered accountant. So, I, I mean, you know, they really do not run these hospitals at all well. They don't mm. have the management systems to run them well. This is mm. this problem with computerization. So, I mean, you've got a hospital with a budget of two and a half billion rand uh, run uh, appallingly and with lots of wastage. So if you actually just took that budget and, and used it properly, I think it would go a lot further. But, but let's take these maintenance issues because, I mean, you know, these hospitals are falling apart. Um, hospital CEOs don't have the full powers that they should have, you know. Uh, they actually operate with one 
one hand or even two hands tied behind their back. Because mm. if something goes wrong with the lifts, you know, at the Schartmann-Klecke Johannesburg Hospital, the lifts keep breaking and, yeah. and elsewhere. Yeah. Oh, so a long-time problem. Yeah, a long-time problem. They, they seem to be incapable of, of fixing the lifts there. You know, it's not a minor thing. If you're a yeah. sick patient, how do you get up? I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely terrible. And, and sometimes you can't do operations because you can't get the, the patients from theater. one floor to another. Yeah. So so-called uh, minor things, they're not minor at all. You can't run a hospital. But uh, it's done by a separate department. It's, uh, you know, the infrastructure development department. So if you want the lift fixed, you, as the CEO of a 2.5 billion rand uh, budget hospital, you can't do it, fix it yourself and call in the, the company concerned. You have to go through a separate department called the infrastructure development that department. public works, essentially? Yes, they've renamed it. Uh, but that is <laughs> the old public works department, okay. uh, which is just absolutely dysfunctional. So here you are at Chris Harney Baragwanath Hospital and there's sewerage flowing around the mm. wards. I've seen it myself. I posted a video of it on my, on my Twitter. Uh, I mean, and you're the CEO and you have to make that call to the Department of Infrastructure Development and they, they're not on hand to, to, to fix it up. So, so essentially, you know, cause the minister did make some good changes. He came in and he said, right, no more sort of having un, unqualified people as CEOs. He wants to have people, you have to have certain qualifications to be, um, the CEO of hospitals. I think he, he wants doctors, uh, people with, that are medic, medically trained, uh, but also who have b- some sort of business knowledge or managerial experience. And, and he wants to put them in those positions. And I, I mean, that was a, that was a good move. Um, but uh, you're telling me that you could have a good CEO, but that that CEO then wants to do something, get something fixed, and he may wait six months waiting on, on public works, infrastructure development, whatever it may be, to come and do it. Well, I've spoken to CEOs of the major hospitals, and off the record, they tell me it's impossible to run, uh, a, you know, a hospital with civil service regulations. It's, you know, it's just so much red tape and and, and all the things you have to go through. In fact, uh, it's a DA policy proposal that you should con- convert these hospitals into, you could call it a parastatal, a non-profit corporation, essentially. Mm. Uh, and if you look at uh, the British National Health, uh, that's what those hospitals are. They're not run under the civil service. They're uh, sort of independent bodies with a particular mandate. So you could convert Chris Harney Baragwalath Hospital, for instance, into a non-profit corporation, give them the two and a half billion rand budget and say, well... You're it's your on- own business. Yes, make it happen. Make it happen. Uh, you know, take them out of the civil service. And, mm. you know, if you have to give incentives to attract mm. skilled people, do that. If you have to make uh, other changes, do that. Uh, with one condition, that you can't turn away any patient. Uh, you know, the patients, uh, these hospitals are for for, for people who the can't public. afford uh, private care. Mm. And you'll have defined outcomes. So I, I think that's actually the, the way forward. And it operates that way in other hospitals. If take one example. We've had some horrendous public service strikes and uh, I've been to these hospitals and, you know, you know, these hospitals uh, can't function because there's a national strike which has nothing to do with the hospital itself. It's just that, you know, home affairs uh, workers are dissatisfied so everybody's gone on strike and there's a lot of intimidation there and yeah. I've seen what happens, you know, people don't pitch up and uh, those strikes have, uh, we could have another strike uh, next year yeah, because of the public service wage negotiation. So if you're if you're if you're your own bargaining unit, mm. you can make good deals with your own workers to suit uh, everybody. So that really is is the way forward. I mean, uh, I hope that the health minister uh, takes that DA proposal seriously because it makes a lot of sense. Sure. Um, 
I think let's take a, a short break because um, we've been we've been chatting for a while and uh, let's catch our breath. But uh, when when we come back, uh, I want to chat about some accountability and 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 uh, what the possible solutions are. A little bit about the NHR and um, where we where our vision should be and where we should be going. Uh, let's uh, let's uh, go to a song. Coming back onto the health hour, we're cutting that song a bit short. Sorry if it's your favourite, but uh, certainly not one of mine. Um, in studio with Jack Bloom, if you've if you've missed us so far, uh, please download the podcast and, and go back. There's a lot of interesting stuff being discussed, a lot of statistics at the, towards the beginning of the show about uh, the sort of chaos, I suppose you you would call it uh, within within the health system. Um, the mismanagement. There's a comment here from from Graham. He's he's asking. He's saying, you know, hearing what you're saying, uh, he's is is the future of our medical institutions just very bleak? You know, is is there anything uh, that can be done? And I, before you answer that question, I, I think uh, 
you know, we, we hear about these things year on year. So Catherine mentioned in the news se- segment that uh, every year there seems to be an issue with linen. And, uh, uh, you know, if you work uh, in the public sector, you'll know that uh, it's uh, you'll run out of needles or you'll run out of linen or you'll run out of uh, hand soap or towels or the simplest things. Um, to very complex stuff, uh, to running out of doctors. Um, is there any kind of accountability? So is anyone turning around and going, look, we know this is a problem, we admit that it is, because I feel like often uh, things are brought up and, and it's almost as if, no, that's not true. So you're saying, you know, you filmed sewerage in a in a ward and, and it's on your Twitter account, um, but uh, I almost feel like you need to say that because... It's almost like someone's going to go. No, no, that's that's actually not the case. It's 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 being falsely kind of reported. So is anyone kind of going? Yes, these are issues we know about. Well, we are a democracy, and uh, you know we have radio talk shows like this where the truth can't be hidden because people know their experience. They know that they spend hours and hours in hospital queues, and it's important that we, you know, it's publicised. But in the counting legislature, a lot of the statistics that we have is because of questions that I put to to the health MEC, uh, and these are official replies. So mm. the official reply that I got this week was that 740 operations have been cancelled at the Steve Beaker Hospital. Now that. That's a fact because I got it out from a legislature question. Mm. And I think, uh, you know, there should always be pressure for change. What I encourage people do to do is to go to the complaints desks at hospitals. Each hospital has a complaints desk. And there's also a complaints hotline, which I encourage people to use. What's, because, what's uh, the number for that? Well, it's an 0800 number, so you can remember. It's 0800. Two zero three double eight six. Okay. So 0800-203-886. I encourage people to use it, or very often people come to me, and uh, depending on how serious the situation is, I'll go straight to the MEC or the hospital CEO mm. and see what I can do. But uh, you know, that's not a solution for for. Uh, no, I absolutely. Know, neither generally. is going to the MEC because, in reality, even if the MEC acknowledges over seven hundred operations pending. Mm. Uh, you know, the MEC themselves can't perform the operation and, and the, you, logically you can only do so many a day and if there's a backlog, there's a backlog. Uh, sorting that, that backlog out actually is going to take a considerable amount of time, uh, and investment in possibly new resources. So, um, you, you know, you're very concerned about what's going on in our health. Are, are our fellow polit- your fellow politicians are you know our fellow citizens who are in power to change these things are they as concerned do they see this as as much of a problem well i think it's it is an election issue and uh, in this province it's very interesting the anc went down by 10% uh, mm. uh, it might have been partly due to the e tolls uh, <laughs> but there are issues like uh, health that people take very seriously and uh, i think they are starting to get worried and i hope the, the you know the perception is there that you actually have to Form, mm. um, you know, I apply what pressure I can. I mean, I'm not very popular with uh, health MECs. Uh, I've I've seen. We've them got all. a new one now. It's, uh, it's well, Hope she's is, recycled. Uh, no, no, it, we had Hope Papa, who I was uh, actually very fond of because I thought he was trying to do uh, uh, the best he could. Mm. And then we got uh, Kudani Mishlangu. Oh, sorry, that's it, Kudani. Well, now she was a sort of failure three years ago, and now we've recycled her in, in the Gauteng Health Department. Mm. In fact, ironically, she was at the uh, infamous. 
uh, infrastructure development department, which uh, you know is not which is supposed to do maintenance and repairs at hospitals. Uh, she didn't do a good job there. Now she's in the in the Gauteng Health Department. Uh, um, I mean the the current uh, inefficiency. Let's take all these medical negligence cases where the sheriff of the court arrives to attach furniture. I mean yeah. that shows you what a chaos there is in, in the department that they can't even pay a, a court order. So I, I hope to think I like to think that the the pressure that's exerted in the legislature, public pressure, mm. exposure in the media means that uh, you know uh, things can't be hidden. Yeah, I mean, that's I, 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 uh, just to touch on that issue quickly, which is which is this. this um, you know, this litigious nature that, that healthcare in general is starting to take on. We discussed it uh, last week on the show. Um, but, uh, you know, both from the public and the private sector, the problem is in the public sector, um, you know, the doctor does something that the very, well, essentially the employer is responsible being the government. Uh, and, uh, it's, uh, it's our tax money. Which, uh, is then going for those, and, and certainly, for example, the case where six millions being paid out, that, that child is, uh, forever more changed and, 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 you know, will miss out on a lot in life and needs a lot of care. So the, the six million rand award is probably fair. Um, but it possibly could have been avoided. In that case, it was a, a delayed cesarean section. Um, so is there, to your knowledge, are we, are we looking at this as a, as a serious concern to sort of say, look, um, a lot of these, these things we're being sued for are avoidable. Um, and we need to, we need to kind of stop it before it, it's an expenditure in itself that gets out of hand. Well, it's starting to get out of hand. In fact, the potential legal liability, the claims against the department is four and a half billion rand. Sure. Now, obviously, uh, you know, not all of those will, will be successful. Succeed, yeah. No, except the department has lost every single court case in the last few years. So, uh, and the payouts, uh, we've had a recent six million rand payout. There's been a 15 million rand payout. So these starting to take a chunk out of the budget. So far this year, the department's paid 127 million, million rand uh, in medical negligence medical claims, negligence. and it's going to be an avalanche. So I think um, you know the courts are applying pressure in their own way. Mm. Um, and in fact, the MEC has announced that they're taking special measures at maternity departments, mm. and and hopefully uh, that's where know, that a lot of the lawsuits are coming from. Yes, um, there, a lot of them, of course, uh, brain damage at, at birth, which is particularly expensive, and, and of course, money can't uh, can't repair the harm. It's, um, it's you know, to look after the child. It's damages actually. Going so forward. these are, are, are really tragic. So I think there's a lot of pressures to improve the system, and I hope they start to work. You know, as I said, we've been having a very long-running turnaround strategy. Mm. Um, the finances are improving slowly. Um, but uh, I really it boils down to you know putting the right person in the right position and uh, giving them the tools to do the job. Okay, so so good. So we we kind of some of the stuff is on a turnaround, some of it isn't. Um, the turnaround, as you say, is this word that's thrown about, and and uh, sometimes we ne- we see, never seem to get there. We never seem to actually turn around. But um, uh, there are some areas of improvement. Uh, there obviously is the NHRs on the table. And, uh, you know, the, the health minister obviously is very pro the NHR. Some people are pro, some people are anti. Uh, regardless of that, they seem to be going ahead at this stage, at least. Uh, who knows how they're going to fund it? And as a taxpayer myself, if you're going to take more tax from me to pay for an NHR, um, I might call it quits, uh, as a South African taxpayer, because I'm, I'm not sure I'm willing to pay more tax. But, um, but, but, your thoughts on the NHI? I mean, where where do you stand? Where, is, where does the, your party stand? And 
Well, clearly it's it's not actually affordable. I mean, the sort of sums that we've been given will take a huge chunk out of the budget. Mm. And uh, I think uh, the Treasury, the, the Finance Department, has been actually putting the brakes in it. Uh, so what we've got is quite small-scale uh, pilot projects, yeah. is what the MEC, what the, the Health Minister calls it. Mm. So each uh, province has a, a pilot project. The, the most successful one has been in the Western Cape, actually, no surprise. Uh, but, um, you know, we, as a DA, we do run a health department. Department, and it's a generally acknowledged to be the best health department. You know, there's imperfections, but the best public health department in South Africa. And the feeling of our provincial health minister there is that, you know, please fix up the public sector first, mm-hmm. and, and that's your, your, your prime responsibility. Mm-hmm. Then we can look at uh, partnerships with the private sector, and we can examine some of the competition issues because uh, that is one of the reasons why uh, private uh, sector prices are very high. Uh, there are issues in the private health sector. I think uh, that there are rip-off tariffs. Uh, the health minister's made a big thing about it, but uh, uh, a lot of that, I think, needs to be subjected to proper scientific study. Yeah. So at the moment, uh, they've made small-scale moves to what he calls NHI, but it's not even NHI. I mean, it's a national health system. It's uh, there's, there's no insurance component to it at the moment. Yeah. So it's, it's actually uh, a misnomer. But um, really, I, I think the path ahead is a variety of things. Mm. But I'd like to see more emphasis placed on environmental health and preventive measures. You know, uh, you know, dirty water accounts for lots of uh, you know diarrhea cases, which can mm. kill. Uh, we need uh, sanitation. The kids, obviously. Yes, kids. Mm. So I mean, why don't we look at uh, providing you know proper sanitation, uh, water, electricity, uh, shelter, um, and and why don't we stop all the the violence on our roads and uh, all the, the crime because if you go to any hospital casualty department it, it's full of uh, you know road accident victims and crime victims and alcohol uh, which the minister has uh, has, signals, has uh, you know uh, pointed out very correctly is a major contributor to, to a hospital casualty department so I think let's look at some of the easily more easily preventable uh, preventive measures hmm. uh, crime and road take accidents take the load off of it take the load off and, 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 and environmental factors are I think extremely extremely important. You know, we, we should have a health system, not a medical system. At the moment, it's too concentrated on, uh, medical system. on the medical side, whereas I think we should look at overall health and preventive health and what they call wellness. Okay, uh, all very good points. I, I just uh, something as a last point on su- on the success. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, as you're saying, uh, the Western Cape uh, has, has has had many successes in the way they run their their public health system. Uh, detractors are going to say, you, of course, you're going to say that. Um, uh, but I, I, is success of a health system not um, bound on the fact that actually what you want at the end of the day is for people to almost pick. If they've got a choice between pa- a public system and a private system, you want people by their choice to pick the public system. Um, and for example, in Australia, uh, if you need some sort of major surgery, major oncology, whatever it happens to be, they have public and private healthcare, but you actually would want to go to the public healthcare because that's where the best expertise are. That's where the best resources are. Um, and is that not really our, uh, I agree with you on the environmental side, but in terms of the medical side itself, is that not really where we'd like to head yes, to? Yes, I think we should get to the stage where people would have confidence in the public health sector and there should be centers of excellence. Uh, mm. I mean, we, we've had that in, in heart surgery, for instance. I mean, as you know, we, we lost it. though. <laughs> well, we lost it. But uh, there, there are areas of stress. 
strength and uh, I think we should build on those areas of strength and uh, you know extend it throughout the public health system mm-hmm. and then we we'll resolve this this whole issue but uh, I think we need to start with basic management issues doing things right spending the budget uh, properly and then I think everybody will be happy Okay, so first, first up, uh, right people, right positions, spending the money correctly. And, uh, once we've sorted out that what it should be the basics, I mean, that's, that's the basics, I assume, of running anything, a business, a, de- a government department, whatever it is. Once we've done that, then we can focus on, on kind of making uh, our health system absolutely the best it can be. Yes, I think that's uh, the way forward, and I think people should pressurize in whatever way they can, uh, the health authorities to, to, to run a, a good system. Right, uh, that's uh, that's our time. Unfortunately, I, I'd love to chat for longer. I uh, just want to thank uh, Jack Bloom for coming into the studio. Um, that uh, complaints line again? It's oh eight hundred two zero three eight eight six, and I'd encourage people to use it. And they can, of course, contact me. And I've given my cell phone number out, and a lot of people do contact me. It's oh eight two triple three four triple two. I think people will remember that oh eight two triple three four triple two. If they don't remember it, they can download it. Thank you. That's been the Health Hour. I hope you've enjoyed the show. We'll be back next week for yet another exciting edition. Uh, I'm Dr. Jonathan Witt. Chat to you next week.